Chapter thirty two of Peter Simple. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Sylvia M. P. in Washington State. Peter Simple by Frederick Marriott. Chapter thirty two. I am claimed by Captain Kearney as a relation. Trial of skill between first lieutenant and captain with a longbow. The shark, the pug dog, and the will. A quarter deck picture. As the admiral was not one who would permit the ships under his command to lie idle in port, in a very few days after the Dignity Ball, which I have described, all the squadron sailed on their various destinations. I was not sorry to leave the bay, for one soon becomes tired of profusion, and I cared nothing for either oranges, bananas, or shaddocks, nor even for the good dinners and claret at the tables of the army mess and the gentlemen of the island. The sea breeze soon became more precious to us than anything else, and if we could have bathed without fear of a shark we should have equally appreciated that most refreshing of all luxuries under the torrid zone it was therefore with pleasure that we received the information that we were to sail the next day to cruise off the french island of martinique captain kearney had been so much on shore that we saw but little of him and the ship was entirely under the control of the first lieutenant of whom i have hitherto not spoken he was a very short pock-marked man with red hair and whiskers a good sailor and not a bad officer that is, he was a practical sailor, and could show any foremast man his duty in any department, and this seamen very much appreciate, as it is not very common. But I never yet knew an officer who prided himself upon his practical knowledge, who was at the same time a good navigator, and too often, by assuming the jack-tar, they lower the respect due to them, and become coarse and vulgar in their manners and language. This was the case with Mr. Fillet, who prided himself upon his slang, and who was at one time hail fellow well met with the seamen talking to them and being answered as familiarly as if they were equals and at another knocking the very same men down with a handspike if he were displeased he was not bad-tempered but very hasty and his language to the officers was occasionally very incorrect to the midshipmen invariably so however on the whole he was not disliked although he was certainly not respected as a first lieutenant should have been it is but fair to say that he was the same to his superiors as he was to his inferiors and the bluntness with which he used to contradict and assert his disbelief of captain kearney's narratives often produced a coolness between them for some days the day after we sailed from carlisle bay i was asked to dine in the cabin the dinner was served upon plated dishes which looked very grand but there was not much in them this plate observed the captain was presented to me by some merchants for my exertions in saving their property from the danes when i was cruising off heligoland why that lion steward of yours told me that you bought it at portsmouth replied the first lieutenant i asked him in the galley this morning how came you to assert such a confounded falsehood sir said the captain to the man who stood behind his chair i only said that i thought so replied the steward why didn't you say the bill had been sent in through you seven or eight times and that the captain had paid it with a flowing sheet did you dare say that sir interrogated the captain very angrily mr Phillip mistook me sir replied the steward he was so busy damning the sweepers that he did not hear me right i said the midshipmen had paid their crockery bill with a foretopsail ay ay replied the captain that's much more likely well mr steward replied mr Phillip i'll be damned if you aren't as big a liar as your master he was going to plump out but fortunately the first lieutenant checked himself and added as your father was before you the captain changed the conversation by asking me whether i would take a slice of ham 
it's real westphalia mr Shimple. i have them sent me direct by count troninskin an intimate friend of mine who kills his own wild boars in the hearts mountains how the devil do you get them over captain kearney there are ways and means of doing everything mr Phillott, and the first consul is not quite so bad as he is represented the first batch was sent over with a very handsome letter to me written in his own hand which i will show you some of these days i wrote to him in return and sent him two cheshire cheeses by a smuggler and since that they came regularly do you ever eat westphalia ham mr Simple? yes sir replied i i once partook of one at lord privilege's lord privilege why he's a distant relation of mine a sort of fifth cousin replied captain kearney indeed sir replied i then you must allow me to introduce you to a relation captain kearney said the first lieutenant for mr Simple is his grandson is it possible i can only say mr Simple, that i shall be most happy to show you every attention and am very glad that i have you as one of my officers now although this was all false for captain kearney was not in the remotest manner connected with my family yet having once asserted it he could not retract and the consequence was that i was much the gainer by his falsehood as he treated me very kindly afterwards always calling me cousin the first lieutenant smiled and gave me a wink when the captain had finished his speech to me as much to say you're in luck and then the conversation changed captain kearney certainly dealt in the marvellous to admiration and really told his stories with such earnestness that i actually believed that he thought he was telling the truth never was there such an instance of confirmed habit telling a story of a cutting-out expedition he said the french captain would have fallen by my hand but just as i levelled my musket a ball came and cut off the cock of the lock as clean as if it was done with a knife a very remarkable instance observed he not equal to what occurred in a ship i was in replied the first lieutenant when the second lieutenant was grazed by a grape-shot which cut off one of his whiskers and turning round his head to ascertain what was the matter another grape-shot came and took off the other now that's what i call a close shave yes replied captain kearney very close indeed if it were true but you'll excuse me mr Phillott, to sometimes tell strange stories i do not mind it myself but the example is not good to my young relation here mr Simple captain kearney replied the first lieutenant laughing very immoderately do you know what the pot called the kettle no sir i do not retorted the captain with offended dignity mr Simple, will you take a glass of wine i thought that this little brouillerie would have checked the captain it did so but only for a few minutes when he again commenced the first lieutenant observed that it would be necessary to let water into the ship every morning and pump it out to avoid the smell of the bilge water there are worse smells than bilge water replied the captain what do you think of a whole ship's company being nearly poisoned with otto of roses if that occurred to me when in the mediterranean i was off smyrna cruising for a french ship that was to sail to france with a pasha on board as an ambassador i knew she would be a good prize and was looking sharp out when one morning we discovered her on the lee bow we made all sail but she walked away from us bearing away gradually till we were both before the wind and at night we lost sight of her as i knew that she was bound to marseilles i made all sail to fall in with her again the wind was light and variable but five days afterwards as i lay in my cot just before daylight i smelt a very strong smell blowing in at the weatherport and coming down the skylight which was open and after sniffing at it two or three times i knew it to be otto of roses i sent for the officer of the watch and asked him if there were anything in sight he replied that there was not and i ordered him to sweep the horizon with his glass and look well out to windward 
as the wind freshened the smell became more powerful i ordered him to get the royal yards across and all ready to make sail for i knew that the turk must be near us at daylight there he was just three miles ahead in the wind's eye but although he beat us going free he was no match for us on a wind and before noon we had possession of him and all his harem by the by i could tell you a good story about the ladies she was a very valuable prize and among other things she had a puncheon of otto of roses on board whew cried the first lieutenant what a whole puncheon yes replied the captain a turkish puncheon not quite so large perhaps as ours on board their weights and measures are different i took out most of the valuables into the brig i commanded about twenty thousand sequins carpets and among the rest this cask of otto of roses which we had smelt three miles off we had it safe on board when the mate of the hold not slinging it properly it fell into the spirit-room with a run and was stove to pieces never was such a scene my first lieutenant and several men on deck fainted and the men in the hold were brought up lifeless it was some time before they were recovered we let the water into the brig and pumped it out but nothing would take away the smell which was so overpowering that before i could get to malta i had forty men on the sick list when i arrived there i turned the mate out of the service for his carelessness it was not until after having smoked the brig and finding that of little use after having sunk her for three weeks that the smell was at all bearable but even then it could never be eradicated and the admiral sent the brig home and she was sold out of the service they could do nothing with her at the dockyards she was broken up and bought by the people at brighton and tunbridge wells who used her timbers for turning fancy articles which smelling as they did so strongly of otto of roses proved very profitable were you ever at brighton mr semple never sir just at this moment the officer of the watch came down to say that there was a very large shark under the counter and wished to know if the captain had any objection to the officers attempting to catch it by no means replied captain kearney i hate sharks as i do the devil i nearly lost fourteen thousand pounds by one when i was in the mediterranean may i inquire how captain kearney said the first lieutenant with a demure face i am very anxious to know why the story is simply this replied the captain i had an old relation at malta whom i found out by accident an old maid of sixty who had lived all her life on the island it was by mere accident that i knew of her existence i was walking upon strada real when i saw a large baboon that was kept there who had a little fat pug-dog by the tail which he was pulling away with him while an old lady was screaming out for help for whenever she ran to assist her dog the baboon made at her as if he would have ravished her and caught her by the petticoats with one hand while he had the pug-dog fast by the other i owed that brute a spite for having attacked me one night when i passed him and perceiving what was going on i drew my sword and gave mr jacko such a clip as sent him away howling and bleeding like a pig leaving me in possession of the little pug which i took up and handed to his mistress the old lady trembled very much and begged me to see her safe home she had a very fine house and after she was seated on the sofa thanked me very much for my gallant assistance as she termed it and told me her name was kearney upon this i very soon proved my relationship with her at which she was much delighted requesting me to consider her house as my home i was for two years afterwards on that station and played my cards very well the old lady gave me a hint that i should be her heir as she had no other relations that she knew anything of at last i was ordered home and not wishing to leave her i begged her to accompany me offering her my cabin she was taken very ill a fortnight before we sailed and made a will leaving me her sole heir but she recovered and got as fat as ever mr simple the wine stands with you 
i doubt if lord privilege gave you better claret than there is in that bottle i imported it myself ten years ago when i commanded the coquette very odd observed the first lieutenant we bought some at barbados with the same mark on the bottles and cork that may be replied the captain old established houses all keep up the same marks but i doubt if your wine can be compared to this you have never tasted older wine i think mr Phillott. i beg your pardon sir but i can prove to you that i have for when noah paid off the ark my ancestor bought his sea stock and it's been handed down to my father there may be three dozen left really mr Phillott, you are almost too facetious will you take some macaroni it is one of the best things we can have at sea i wish you had seen my kitchen at walcott abbey i have no doubt but it was excellent replied mr Phillott. but i should have preferred eating what came from it i wish that i had a knowledge of the art which a friend of mine has a new science i may say pray what may that be they call it fumography fumography never heard of it it is the art of knowing precisely by examination of the smoke which comes out of the chimney what your neighbour has for dinner upon my soul if one could send an excuse at a late hour that might be useful my friend is quite an adept he can tell first and second course entremets and even if the different articles to be put on the table are done to a turn or not now mr simple what do you think of that inquired the captain i think sir that it's all smoke ah oh, bravo mr simple you've said a very good thing i thought so too but as i wasn't quite sure i would not laugh till all the rest of the company did as mr Phillott wished to hear the end of the captain's story he would not contradict him about the wine by stating what he knew to be the case that the captain had sent it on board at barbados and the captain proceeded well i gave up my cabin to the old lady and hung up my cot in the gun-room during the passage home we were becalmed abreast of Cueta for two days the old lady was very particular about her pug-dog and i superintended the washing of the little brute twice a week but at last i was tired of it and gave him to my coxswain to bathe my coxswain who was a lazy fellow without my knowledge used to put the little beast into the bite of a rope and tow him overboard for a minute or so it was during this calm that he had him overboard in this way when a confounded shark rose from under the counter and took in the pug-dog at one mouthful the coxswain reported the loss as a thing of no consequence but i knew better and put the fellow in irons i then went down and broke the melancholy fact to miss kearney stating that i had put the man in irons and would flog him well the old lady broke out into a most violent passion at the intelligence declared that it was my fault that i was jealous of the dog and had done it on purpose the more i protested the more she raved and at last i was obliged to go off deck to avoid her abuse and keep my temper i had not been on deck five minutes before she came up that is was shoved up for she was so heavy that she could not get up without assistance you know how elephants in india push the cannon through a morass with their heads from behind well my steward used to shove her up the companion ladder just in the same way and with his head completely buried in her petticoats as soon as she was up she used to pull his head out looking as red and hot as a fresh-boiled lobster well up she came with her will in her hand and looking at me very fiercely she said since the shark has taken my dear dog he may have my will also and throwing it overboard she plunged down on the carronade slide it's very well madame said i but you'll be cool by and by and then you'll make another will i swear by all the hopes that i have of going to heaven that i never will replied she yes she will madam replied i never so help me god captain curdy my money may now go to my next heir and that you know will not be you now as i knew very well that the old lady was very positive 
and as good as her word my object was to recover the will which was floating about fifty yards astern without her knowledge i thought a moment and i called the boatswain's mate to pipe all hands to bathe you'll excuse me miss kearney said i but the men are going to bathe and i do not think you would like to see them all naked if you would you could stay on deck she looked daggers at me and rising from the carronade slide hobbled to the ladder saying that the insult was another proof of how little i deserved any kindness from her as soon as she was below the quarter-boats were lowered down and i went in one of them and picked up the will which still floated briggs having no stern windows of course she could not see my manoeuvre but thought that the will was lost for ever we had very bad weather after that owing to which with the loss of her favourite pug and constant quarrelling with me for i did all i could to annoy her afterwards she fell ill and was buried a fortnight after she was landed at plymouth the old lady kept her word she never made another will i proved the one i had recovered at doctor's commons and touched the whole of her money as neither the first lieutenant nor i could prove whether the story was true or not of course we expressed our congratulations at his good fortune and soon afterwards left the cabin to report the marvellous story to our messmates i went on deck i found that the shark had just been hooked and was being hauled on board mr fullett had also come on deck the officers were all eager about the shark we were looking over the side calling to each other and giving directions to the men now although certainly there was a want of decorum on the quarter-deck still the captain having given permission it was to be excused but mr phillip thought otherwise and commenced in his usual style beginning with the marine officer mr wesley i'll trouble you not to be getting upon the hacks you'll get off directly sir if one of your fellows were to do so i'd stop his grog for a month and i don't see why you are to set a bad example you've been too long in barracks sir by half who is that mr williams and mr moore both on the hammocks too up to the fore-topmast head both of you directly mr thomas up to the main and i say you youngsters stealing off perch yourself upon the spanker boom and let me know when you've rowed to london by god the service is going to hell i don't know what officers are made of nowadays i'll marry some of you young gentlemen to the gunner's daughter before long quarter-deck's no better than a bear garden no wonder when lieutenants set the example this latter remark could only be applied to o'brien who stood in the quarter-boat giving directions before the tirade of mr phillip stopped the amusement of the party o'brien immediately stepped out of the boat and going up to mr phillip touched his hat and said mr phillip we had the captain's permission to catch the shark and a shark is not to be got on board by walking up and down on the quarter-deck as regards myself as long as the captain is on board i hold myself responsible to him alone for my conduct and if you think i have done wrong forward your complaint but if you pretend to use such language to me as you have to the others i shall hold you responsible i am here sir as an officer and a gentleman and will be treated as such and allow me to observe that i consider the quarter-deck more disgraced by foul and ungentlemanly language than i do by an officer accidentally standing upon the hammocks however as you have thought proper to interfere you may now get the shark on board yourself mr phillip turned very red for he never had come in contact in this way with o'brien all the other officers had submitted quietly to his unpleasant manner of speaking to them very well mr o'brien i shall hold you answerable for this language replied he and shall most certainly report your conduct to the captain i will save you the trouble captain kearney is now coming up and i will report it to myself this o'brien did upon the captain's putting his foot on the quarter-deck well observed the captain to mr phillip what is it you complain of mr o'brien's language sir am i to be addressed on the quarter-deck in that manner 
"'I really must say, Mr. Phillott,' replied Captain Kearney, "'that I do not perceive anything in what Mr. O'Brien said but what is correct, and I command here, and if an officer so nearly equal in rank to yourself has committed himself, you are not to take the law into your own hands. The fact is, Mr. Phillott, your language is not quite so correct as I could wish it. I overheard every word that passed, and I consider that you have treated your superior officer with disrespect, that is, me.' I gave permission that the shark should be caught, and with that permission I consequently allowed those little deviations from the discipline of the service which must inevitably take place. Yet you have thought proper to interfere with my permission, which is tantamount to an order, and have made use of harsh language, and punished the young gentleman for obeying my injunctions. You will oblige me, sir, by calling them all down, and in restraining your petulance for the future. I will always support your authority when you are correct." but I regret that, in this instance, you have necessitated me to weaken it. This was a most severe check to Mr. Phillott, who immediately went below, after hailing the mastheads and calling down the midshipmen. As soon as he was gone, we were all on the hammocks again. The shark was hauled forward, hoisted on board, and every frying-pan in the ship was in requisition. We were all much pleased with Captain Kearney's conduct on this occasion, and, as O'Brien observed to me, he really is a good fellow and a clever officer." what a thousand pities it is that he is such a confounded liar i must do mr phillott the justice to say that he bore no malice on this occasion but treated us as before which is saying a great deal in his favour when it is considered what power a first lieutenant has of annoying and punishing his inferiors End of chapter thirty two